Welcome to the Smarticle Podcast, where we take a good article and make it gooder. It is Faithful Fridays, Brandon. Once again, I remind you, no four-letter words, please. That includes the F word. It is the time when we kind of take it down a level. We usually uh, go to our North Star, Richard Brewer, and his organization, the Center for Action and Contemplation out there in lovely New Mexico. We definitely think you should check him out at CAC.org. Me and Brandon follow his daily meditation. They've been doing a series on holy bewilderment. This is author Debbie Thomas, who finds a worthy model of holy bewilderment in the faith of Mary, which comes from Luke. Quote, the second line I appreciate in the, the Annunciation story describes Mary's confusion, but she was such perplexed. It is not that the Annunciation leads her out of doubt and into faith. It is that her encounter with the angel leads her out of certainty into holy bewilderment, out of a familiar spiritual territory into a lifeline of pondering, wondering, questioning, wrestling. See, she was much perplexed, or as she puts it to Gabriel, how can this be? Like Mary, I was raised with a fairly precise and comprehensive picture of who God is and how God operates in the world. If anyone had asked me to describe God when I was 15, 20, or 30, I would have rattled off a list of divine attributes as readily as a kindergartner recites the alphabet. God is omnipotent. Omnipotent. Um, Thank you. Omnipotent. Omniscient. Omnipresent. (laughs) God is three in one. I'm going a long time here. God is holy. God is perfect. God is loving. What is interesting, shock, reality has been. Who knew that my life with God would actually be one long goodbye? That to know God is to unknow God to shed my neat conception of the divine like so many old snakeskins and emerge into the world, bare, vulnerable, new, again and again. <sighs> Sorry, I had to go, but I thought all of those were worth reading, Brandon. Absolutely. I, You know, I sent this to you. Uh, I think a lot of people think that we just talk about these things and we don't ever actually, they're just for the show, but you and I go back and forth on this stuff. And if it's helpful, like, Hey man, I read this. This is really good. I mean, it's important to us. It's, it's real. It's our faith is important. Figuring it out is important. It's wrestling with it and not just giving platitudes. Like God allows you turns, Larry, <laughs> all the platitudes of the evangelical church that drive us crazy. I said this to you because it just reminded me of so many times you have talked about you and I have talked about where you've talked about this idea of unknowing God. You were raised in a very, cookie cutter, white, suburban, evangelical Christian existence where everybody was kind of the same. And you, you, you went to out of college, you went to work for a Christian radio station. Ew. And over, over the last 25 years or so, your entire faith has changed. Yep. It's become holy bewilderment. Like I find a dollar for totally. every time you're like, I have no idea what this is all about. I'm like, yeah. all I know is that all, it all belongs. And that's why we constantly talk about Roar and the Center for Action and Contemplation, because they are pushing into this. They are like-minded people that are saying, man, you know what? I don't know what the hell I'm doing. I don't have it figured out, and I'm just doing the very best I can. Today's reading was unbelievable. It was you know, all about this idea of how one looks at and engages with their faith and how that changes over time. You know, So it was like, it's the same sort of idea over and over. It says, the title of today's reading, which I know isn't what we're talking about per se, but it's called Faith as Participation, is that 
this guy worked with homeless youth and he was like a superstar in the homeless youth and he thought he was doing it. And all of a sudden he woke up one day and said, these kids are still ended up on the street. They're still ending up drug addicted. They're still, nothing I'm doing is really making a difference. And he said it fundamentally changed his faith that he had to say every, it's, he still works with homeless people. He still works and does those things. But instead of looking at like, I'm going to change the world to do this, he says, I'm going to engage in every interaction I have with him the same way I engage in prayer. So he's not that he's saying, I'm going to pray for this person per se, but more of try to come to it with this idea of understanding that God is bigger than anything you could possibly do or say. And so you have to trust if as a person of faith, you have to trust that God's plan is so mysterious that you got to just roll with it. Because if you don't, you're going to spend your life miserable. I mean, it's like the whole second half of life thing that Roar kind of you introduced me through Richard Rohr is like, you have to give it all away. You have to like, literally, you know, they teach us in Sunday school who God, who they, we think God literally is. And I think from that moment to the end, if you're on a journey, you're kind of giving it all away and, and realizing you don't know who God is, who they thought they wanted to tell you who they think God was. This is a, sort of a theme that comes out of these times in life where, you know, liminal space, I've probably referenced it, and I'm sure I've told you this before. One of my favorite books is The Razor's Edge by Somerset Maugham, who was uh, who wrote, it was part of that lost generation of authors right after World War One, when these people had fought and seen horrific things. Like, way, I mean, if you watch, you know, like that, that seven, what is it? 1917, the movie that, yeah, that, yeah, and, yeah. And, and if you all quiet in the Western Front, which is out right now, I mean, it is dark dude world war one was brutal and it was awful and somerset mom writes this about this guy that goes away to the war he's this rich kid kind of raised in this nice suburban he was from chicago but he was raised in a wealthy community and he comes back and he sees these people doing the same things they were doing before and he's like you've got to be kidding me i saw people getting blown up yeah i can't go to these parties and act like this is normal and this is good and so he goes about on this sort of journey walkabout and he ends up in tibet and the, the head of the monastery says, I want you to stir this porridge. That's how you're going to understand the nature of God and your place in the world. <laughs> so he starts stirring this porridge for like three months. And finally, he's like, you know, what the hell am I doing? I'm not learning anything <laughs> about myself. So the, the abbot, uh, this monk, says, hey, you know what? There is a lean-to on the top of the mountain. Hike up there and sit in that lean-to. And you will learn what you need to know about God and, and your purpose in life. So he goes up there and he brings all his books and all these things that he has. And he's been reading all these books. And he's sitting there and he's on the top of the world and he's freezing cold. And all of a sudden he's like, he starts ripping pages out of the book and lights a fire with them. Because in that moment, the most important thing was just staying warm. And it was like this ultimate moment of understanding that sometimes you just have to let go that you're not going to be able to think your way through things. You're not going to be able to say, well, I mean, if I think harder and pray harder and try harder, I'll get it all sorted out. It's not that those things are bad per se, thinking and trying and philosophizing. But at the end of the day, a lot of what we wrestle with is a mystery. And we're not going to, we're not going to figure it out this side of the great getting up morning. We're just not. So I love that they're pushing into these different authors and people that, have, that are very accomplished in their fields. And they're all like, yeah, I don't know what the hell I'm doing. The world is a giant mystery. I, I I know why people like my wife, right-brained, uh, Enneagram number ones, don't want to admit that, but it it just is. In Rohr's um, meditation the next day, he says this, God refuses to be known intellectually. God can only be loved and known in the act of love. Love can only be experienced in communion. 
I've recently been, I've told you I'm studying science and God, and I'm like, how could we even be here with all that is gone? And you're never going to know. The only way you can experience God is to be in communion and love. That's it. You can't study your way to God. No, and it, it can help you to yes. guide you in your thinking. Yes. You can do good things, but it, yes. it cannot it cannot introduce you to God. Only nope. That can only happen to the mystery that is God. And that's hard for a lot of people, right? Your wife included. They they want answers, right? I've always referenced my, my old friend who would say, I just want it to be black and white. And I'm like, it's not black and white. Life is not black and white. You're ne- it's never going to be easy for you. And that, especially in American culture, where we want things easy, we want a yep. cookie cutter, we want food processed, we want it all quick and down and dirty. We don't want enough to wait for anything. It's really hard for Western thinking people to sort of wrap their brain around the fact that, guess what, dude? You may never know. You may never know what the mystery of all this is about. So you've just got to get up every day and rest in that uncertainty. And that is the challenge. That is that second half of life. So you sort of empty, you know, this idea of emptying the cup is a common phrase used in the Christian world is empty the cup. Let it out and stop trying to figure it out because you're not going to. Well, what kind of ticks me off a little bit is that we're hearing the story about Mary. You know, I've heard Mary's story a gazillion times. We're in the Christmas season. Mary's going to become president again. Like, nobody has ever presented it to me that God blew her conception of him away and completely changed the trajectory of her faith by that meeting. Nobody ever told him, a 49-year-old man, why am I just hearing about this for the first time? Well, it, or is that you weren't paying attention to it because well, it, it wasn't true. pointed out to you because you've obviously read the story many times. I mean, it's not... I always think, look at people and say, well, I can't, can't you believe they did that? I'm like, can you believe they didn't do that? I mean, if yeah. an angel came to you and said you were carrying the son of God, you'd be like, what? You're crazy. <laughs> you know, I'm like, what? Yeah. you would think that in the modern day, you'd think you're going nuts, right? So the fact that Mary, I, I, I am a big fan of the Magnificat of, of Mary. In the, in we the co- Well, in the context of- My of, mother-in-law's not listening. Well, in the, in the context of- a person that a normal person who's asked to do extraordinary things and does it anyway. And I just yeah. thought, I think, wow, here's this 14 year old girl who is, you know, getting married and knows all the fallouts that's going to happen and still does it and doesn't try to hide from it and doesn't, you know, doesn't deny it. But of course she's going to be like, what? This is insane. Right. Yeah. Of course she's going to ask. It's not that she had questions about it. That's crazy. To me, it's the fact that she kept going that was crazy. Um, Richard Moore continues. I, I, I don't know how long I've been reading this thing, but it c- continues to blow me away. It sort of like literally changed the trajectory. These two back-to-back um, things that we read have just blown me away, and I've not been able to stop thinking about God. Blow- he's speaking about being blown away, and he's blown me away. Yeah. Well, Larry, once again, thank you for teaching me all about God. <laughs>